So we're wrapping up a conversation called free. Uh, so go ahead for the last time. I want you to say, I'm free. I'm free. We are reminded weekly for the last uh, six weeks that we are free in Christ. That if you've uh, aligned your life with Jesus, given your uh, life over to him, you are free. And John 8 says, therefore, if the Son sets you free, you really will be free. No question mark, no ambiguity. You are free. And so what we've been doing over the last several weeks is we've been uh, discovering what that freedom in Christ looks like. If we're free, then we need to understand how to walk in that freedom. We're free in our giving, and we're free in our time, and we're free in our thought life, and and yet what we realize is that we're all being led by something, and so we're free to choose our master, and so we've been encouraging and uh, encouraging one another really to to choose Christ as our master, knowing that we're free to choose, and so uh, this morning we're going to wrap up that conversation by talking about serving, that you're free to serve or not serve. You're free to be generous with your life or not. But we're all serving something. At some capacity, we're all serving something. And so this morning, it's my objective, my goal to to get us to look inward, to look deep inside ourselves, to see what we're living for. What is your time being used for? What is your energy, your effort, your talents, your creativity, your your money? What What are we living for? Who are we serving? And our passage today is Galatians. Galatians 5, 13 Paul says, for you were called to be free, brothers. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out, you will be consumed by one another. We're going to break this passage down. There's a lot of gold to be mined out of it. Paul here, first and foremost, is warning us, and he repeatedly warns the Galatians as well as modern readers. He's repeatedly warning us to make sure that we're not wasting our freedom. He's reminding us that you're free. Not only are you free, but you've been called to be free. Your calling, your central purpose is to be free, but he's saying don't waste it. Don't squander it. Don't misuse it. Don't trade it for something that doesn't fulfill our life, that isn't living up to uh, our God-given potential. You are free. You've been called free. But so many of us so often waste it. And like Paul, I want to call you to more this morning. I want to call you to more as a church. See, I want us to create a church that if people were to leave it, not that people leave churches, but if they were to leave church and try to go to another They would have to look back and say, I left because they called me to more. They called me to too much, not to do more, but to love more. I don't want you to do more with your life, but I want you to love more. And I want people to feel this call to love more so deeply that you either love deeper or you walk away. And you don't come back because you know this is a beacon of love that we're going to drive you and, and, and then push you to love others so deeply Because what I know about you and me as human beings is if we'll love deeper, we'll serve more often. I'm not worried about us serving as much as I am worried about us loving because you cannot care about people and not serve them. And I want us to create a church that calls and demands one another to love like Christ loved us. And I believe we're capable of more, which is why I believe Paul can call us to more. I think you're capable of more. 
If you've ever tried to do something you know weren't quite sure you could accomplish and you accomplished it and you look back and you went, I thought too less of myself. I thought too less of my ability or my creativity. I thought too little. But I'm, I can do more. See, I think we think too less of our love, our ability to love. Just like you only use a certain percentage of your brain, which is pretty small, right? And the rest of it, I guess, is wasted. I don't know. We'll find out one day. I think we use too little of our hearts that God is calling us to love more and to love others deeper. And if we'll actually fall in love with other people, the byproduct of deepening your concern for others is that we will live a life of servitude. It won't be a question of if or how, but it'll be how often that you cannot care about people and not serve them. So our concern leads to action. So as we deepen our love and our concern for others, we deepen our ability to do uh, and to go be above and beyond to serve others. So can we together create a church? That loves one another so deeply that it spills into the communities. The people in our neighborhoods and the people uh, in our city and the people beyond. People listening to this podcast, they're strange. They're not strangers, but there are people that seem strange in foreign countries that listen to this podcast every week. And I don't know who you are, but we're sure happy to have you gather with us. But I want you to feel this love. I want it to pour out of your life. I want you to be called to more. Because it's not just something we do. We've actually been called free. We have to examine how we use our freedom and that everything that God has ever done was done to ensure your freedom and everything he did through the person of Jesus was to make sure that you knew that you are free. The first thing I want you to know is that freedom is our calling. Serving is our expression. You're free. How do we know? We know by your actions. We know by your behavior. We know by your spending. We know by your mindset. We know by your speech. We know by the way we serve that you're free. Serving is that expression of freedom, that freedom is our calling and our purpose. We were created by God from inception to be free. But our freedom is best used to help others. And in Galatians it says, for you are called to be free, only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. And I look at my life, and I think more often than not, when given the opportunity to have a little freedom, I'm going to use it to do something I want to do. For the last several months, I've had, I take Fridays off, I've done it for years, but all my kids have been in school, and my wife's been working, so it's like this weird, like, I got the house to myself, and it all comes to an end. Last Friday was my last free Friday. I have all these kids in my house. And so I won't have freedom for a while. And so what happens on Fridays is I wake up, I take everybody to school, I come to the house, it's quiet, and I go, what do I want to do? What, do I want a hammock first? Do I want like a big breakfast? Like where do I want to start with my free day? And every one of us, the moment we feel a little bit of freedom, we go, what do I want? And I think there's a measure of that that we all need, and that's just self-care, and, and, and I'm not, you know, there's all of that. I know that. The problem is for most, if not all of us, we by and large use our freedom to serve self all the time, every time. And what happens if that's not checked is inevitably that will lead to sin. It'll lead to giving over to uh, fleshly desires, and that's what Galatians is talking about. It says don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, But serve one another. In this moment, you're free. And you're free to sin. I just want you to know that. 
You are free to sin. I believe God's grace is greater. It covers a multitude of sins. God loves you while you're yet a sinner. Uh, John 3, 16, we're all sinners. And so uh, you're free to sin, and you can use that freedom for fleshly desires and, and live however you want. And, and I do believe if you come to God and you turn from your sin and you repent and you get a pure heart, you can be free and remove your sins as far as the east is from the west. And so I believe in grace and, and, and forgiveness, but also believe that you have the freedom to sin. That's the beautiful thing about what Jesus did on the cross is he died so that you can have the ability and freedom to sin if that's how you choose to use your freedom. But here's what I want you to know is that your freedom affects every single person in your life. Your actions, your behavior, your mindset, your spending, your speech, it affects everybody. And so you can come out today and go, I'm free. I'm going to go drink and drive. And you're free to do that. And you know what? I believe if you're, you're sincere, God will forgive you, and, 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 and on and on. But it doesn't mean that it doesn't affect the people around you. It doesn't mean it doesn't affect the other cars and the other lanes. It doesn't mean it doesn't cause a ripple effect. You're free to not go to work tomorrow. I mean, I'm not your boss, not all of you, but I'm not your boss. So you might want to check with them, but you're free to skip work. But what you can't do is control the circumstances, the outcome, how everybody else has to pick up the slack. You're free, but your freedom affects everyone both negatively and positively. See, if you'll use your freedom to do things that God has called you to do, it starts to affect people as well. But see, a lot of us start to believe that our behaviors and our actions and our lives only affect ourselves. I give over to fleshly desires. I can live in sin, and I'm not hurting anybody else. But we're so connected, interdynamically connected, that it's a ripple effect into the other's lives. But here's the other thing is that you're free to sin, but your freedom actually affects the people around you. Every single place you go, you carry with you this spirit of freedom. Uh, every person that is connected to you is connected to the freedom that you bring. But using your freedom to sin is a gross misuse of what God sent Jesus to die on the cross for. It's not how we were desiring to live. We were not designed to live to constantly satisfy our fleshly desires. It's like asking your car to make you coffee. It's just not the way it works, and it's broken. And we get frustrated because we're asking for things uh, and demanding of things that things were never meant to do. The, the, the fleshly desires were never meant to satisfy us long-term, but we're asking them to. And so we're using our freedom to try to satisfy momentary desires which lead us to sin or which can be or and are sin. We're disappointed and it's this endless feedback loop where we're disappointed and we, we try to satisfy the desire and we use uh, sin to do that and we're disappointed again and, and, and on and on. And there's a more satisfying way for us to live. We've not been made free so that we can live our lives for self. And even though the flesh is a compelling force and it drives and determines uh, much of our lives if we'll allow it to, it's become extremely difficult to break free from our flesh. Everything we desire in our lives is often for the flesh. We go to work so we can earn money, so we can buy things that we want. We pick the food out that we like at the grocery. We go to the restaurants and we buy the clothes. And everything that we do is for self. Unless you have kids, and then it's mostly for them. But you also try to work your own life in there. And this passage, this passage breaks through all of that and it begins to describe an opportunity. The flesh is an opportunity to follow sin and our fleshly desires. And it's saying, don't do it. That's not how God created you. We have a sin nature, a propensity to sin, but we can fight back. We can push back. We can work against this sin nature. When we are serving others, we're on mission. We're staying focused. 
And all of a sudden, that desire to sin or those desires to sin start to fade away. I've noticed the more bored I become, the more enticing sin becomes. I've noticed that when I'm not on mission and I'm not focused on what God's called me to do and, and where he's called me to go and, and, and I'm not busy doing his work, all of a sudden I slide into this, well, this looks enticing. Maybe this will satisfy me. And the more focus we get, the less enticing those things become because you and I are at our best when we're serving others. We weren't created to live life exclusively for self. Yeah, take that nice vacation, and yeah, buy that thing that you wanted. But understand that ultimately the things that are going to bring value to your life and are going to satisfy you the deepest yearnings of your soul are going to be when we give our lives for others, when we serve others, when we put others first because we're called to be free, but not so that we can use that to serve self, but so we can use that to serve others. But this is incredibly frustrating for a lot of us. Actually, I'd say it's incredibly frustrating for all of us because everything inside of us wants to be happy. And we think the quickest pathway to happiness is to get what we want and to do what we want and to live the way we want. And we see serving others as being captivity. That's not going to make me happy. I got to do whatever I want. And the world keeps saying, you're right. Do all of those things and you're going to be thrilled. And yet we look at culture as a whole and we say, everyone's miserable. And yet we're doing all these things that we think are making us happy and we're miserable in the process. And God's saying, we're living in a way that we weren't designed to live. Like a fish out of water, we were created to love and to serve one another. And Jesus modeled this on the cross for you and I. And he set the precedent. And he raised the bar. And he says, if you'll just love others exponentially, be crazy about how you care for one another. Watch how the level of your life increases. Watch how your happiness and, and, and your serotonin levels and all of a sudden anxiety becomes a little more compressed and all of these things that are plaguing us all of a sudden start to be a little quieter. But we were designed to live for others. When Christianity is in a place of power and, and self-serving, the radical message of Jesus becomes muted and even becomes lost in a society. Christianity starts to morph into something nice and safe and calm. Eventually it becomes dormant. And because so many of us, myself, probably at the top of the list, want to satisfy self so often, all of a sudden my faith and the call that God's placed on our life starts to become less important. And I notice that I live less on mission and I become more anxious. I become less happy. And the balance starts to tip in my life. Because when we think that being a Christian means we're better than everyone else, or because uh, everyone should serve us, or because we don't have to do anything or sacrifice anything, all of a sudden we realize we've lost the meaning of the cross. The cross is a representation of sacrifice and servitude. So you and I, we're free to live the way we want. The freedom is our calling, but serving is our sacrifice. Freedom is our calling, serving is our sacrifice. And there's a major sacrifice to serving others. No one knows us more than Christ who gave us life for us. And he says, uh, no one sticks closer than a friend. you got to give your life to other people. And the constant message of Jesus while here on earth was compelling us to live in a way that so many of us don't live today. It's constantly driving us to serve and to care for one another. And servants, is, uh, as a term, is often seen as low in prestige. Throughout history and in the, in the dark history of America, we see servants as, as slaves and, and, and we see it as a lowly position. And, and most people, they're not attracted to that low position. 
Why would I want to be a servant? Why would I want to be a, a slave? Why would I want to be in a lowly position? But when Jesus uses the term, it was synonymous with greatness. Jesus uses the term servanthood as synonymous with greatness. The very kingdom of God will be given to the ones who serve. And when Jesus speaks of servanthood, he actually isn't coming from a place of weakness. So often we see people serve because they're weak or they're poor or they, they can't do anything else. Jesus actually comes from a great place of power and he chooses to harness that power and channel that power into serving others. But serving wasn't just a sacrifice for Jesus, it was the sacrifice that makes it possible for you and I to live the way that we live. Jesus gave everything for us and in return he asked that we give ourselves to those around us. And what happens is a lot of us take the message of Jesus and we thank God for the cross and we receive communion. And we're so thankful for freedom, which is our calling. And then we stop. And we use it to make self happier. We use it to make self more comfortable. We use it to satisfy self. And Jesus is saying, that's a broken. My, my sacrifice to you is a bridge for you to serve and sacrifice for others. And in Galatians 5.14, Paul says, the entire law is fulfilled in one single statement. I love simplicity. I, I, I love minimalism. I love things to be clean and easy. I don't like complication. Uh, a lot of people come into church and they go, you know, we got to go deeper. And, and the only reason we want deeper is because we want to be confused and we don't want to have to actually do anything. I like simplicity. If you want deeper, probably won't find it here. Uh, come to Chip's class. They're, they're definitely digging deep into the Word. I like things simple. And, and I love this passage because it breaks everything in the Scriptures down. All the law of Moses and all the regulations and all the rules that, that we feel like we have to follow. It all comes down to one single word. Love. For the entire law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. What about a Bible reading plan? What about, what about a, a prayer group? What about this and that and this? And Do I need a theological studies? And I need hermeneutics? And I need all this stuff. And Paul's saying, it's all coming down to this. See, I love all the other stuff. But none of that matters if you're a terrible person. I don't care how much you know about the scriptures. I don't care how many times you've read the Bible cover to cover. I don't care how fervent of a prayer you are. If you're a, not a nice person, you've missed the point. It says, love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. This is Paul quoting Jesus, and Jesus was quoting Leviticus. There's this like long trail of multiple people saying, love your neighbor. That's what it comes down to. The way that we serve and the way we sacrifice is merely by loving our neighbor. Now, I know it's nuanced and it's complicated. And a lot of us want checklists and tasks and things to do. And a lot of us want it complicated so we don't have to do anything. We go, That's too hard to do. But just loving people doesn't matter your resources, your socioeconomic status, your uh, ability or your limited ability. God says you can love. So love. Love your neighbor. And Paul calls us to trade all the laws of Moses for loving, loving. He says, love your neighbor, but he says, love your neighbor as yourself. And we fulfill the entire law of God by doing one simple thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now, this doesn't mean we abandon morality. This doesn't mean that we just go live lawless and, and, and crazy. Because what I know uh, about us as, as creatures designed by God is that if we'll love God and we'll love one another, we won't desire those things. We won't desire to go just 
corrupt and, 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 and immoral. We will desire morality. We will desire uh, holiness and, and righteousness and right living. We will desire those things if we'll fall in love with God and, and, and love our neighbor as ourself. I've known a great deal of people who love others but live as if God doesn't exist. And that makes me sad. And as followers of Christ, we should love people deeper and more often than anyone else on earth. In fact, I would rather err on the side of caution and love more often and give more chances and trust than I would to gatekeep and hold and keep people away. I would rather be accused of trusting and loving others too much than the opposite. And so often we're cautious and too cautious to where we're not free to love others, that we have an obligation to live by God's moral standards. But none of that matters if we're not loving and showing other people their love. And part of serving is coming to a place where you love the people around you as much as you love yourself. And this is important. This is important to God because it's brought up various places throughout the scripture. Love others as much as you love yourself. And the brilliance of this command is that it assumes that you love yourself. And if you don't, that's a different topic for a different day. But it assumes you love yourself, and it assumes that you know how to take care of yourself. And what it's doing is it's saying, all we have to do is take the focus off self, but keep the same mindset of what do I like and want. So when we come to the table of, okay, how am I going to serve people? Just ask yourself the question, well, what do I want to do? What do I want, how do I want to be served? Do I like fresh baked chocolate chip cookies delivered to my front door? Yeah, I mean, if they're gluten and dairy free, I'd bring them to my house. And, and so, well, then I'm going to do that for someone else. Do I want somebody to buy me a cup of coffee? Always. Then I'm going to do that for someone else. Do I want somebody to mow my grass? I like doing it. But maybe you don't. Serve someone else. And all we have to do with love your neighbor as yourself is ask yourself, how do I want to be served? Now go do that. Would you love a text from someone that just says, I believe in you? Today's going to be a good day. Trust God. Yeah, who wouldn't want that text? Then send that text. See, uh, this morning, an interesting thing happened. Uh, my friend JC, um, he pastors Greater Hope, uh, he sent me a text this morning. And he said, uh, uh, preach the word of God today. I believe in you. I'm praying for you this morning. And he didn't know what I was talking about. And I got the text. And I went, why didn't I send that text first? You know, so I text another pastor so that I could be first to someone else. But I'm like, <laughs> my default is rarely to go, I'm going to make sure that I, I should encourage somebody else. I came in today, we had a pipe bus next door, and I'm like taking care of things here and getting stuff ready, and uh, I'm not thinking I should text Pastor JC, and he's thinking that way, so how do we rewire our brain to go, what do I want, what do I need, and then that's what I give to others. That's how I serve the people around me. That's how I encourage and motivate and show love to other people. And so often we go, well, that's what I want, and I hope I get it. But it's never how we translate it into, that's what I'm going to give. And it's a sacrifice, and that's what God has called us to. And in Hebrews 13, it says, don't neglect to do what is good and to share. For God is pleased with such sacrifices. That when we live this way, it brings glory and honor to God. It glorifies and honors God when we show up and do things that we could never get credit for. You know what's wild? And they're going to not be happy for me saying this. But uh, I've come here the last couple of Saturdays. And Alan and Nancy have been in the back of our property by the dumpster uh, taking care of limbs and bushes that have been trimmed around the property and, and left there. And they've been breaking them up and putting them in baggies and putting them in the dumpster a little at a time. Because they find value in the way the back of our property looks. I just stole a 
crown out of your jewel from heaven, so I apologize for the public credit. But they did this, and you didn't even know. Now you do, so it kind of offsets it, but they're still wonderful servants. The idea is when you look for something that needs to be done, and you do it, it doesn't matter where the credit goes. The credit should all be done to God. It says, don't neglect to do what is good and share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. When we look for needs, we look for ways to meet needs around us, around the church, around our community, around our neighborhood. How can we serve the people around us to bring glory and honor to God? Because it starts in your home, and then it begins to filter out. Because our actions affect the people around us, it starts to change other people's behaviors too. And people see that we're using our freedom to serve, and that, that may inspire the freedom in their life to be used to serve others as well. And then it begins to filter into our communities, and into our church, and into our families, and it travels and it moves, and all of a sudden, your life is lived for something more than just doing what you want. And as you become a servant to all and the least among you, it's God then that raises you up. And this is counterintuitive to how we live. I'll do something, I'll get the credit, and, you know, put my name on a plaque, and, uh, you know, I, I, I want to be honored, and, 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 and that's it. And it's self-serving, and it's so short-lived, and God's saying, if you'll do things for the kingdom, watch how I raise you up, watch how I honor, and I glorify you in my time. And we need more people willing to sacrifice their time to help people reach their potential, to help people uh, reach their God-created potential, because saved people serve people. If you've given your life to Christ, then it's time for you to give your life to others. And if you know Jesus, then it's your responsibility then to serve people who don't. And our ministries here, they shouldn't suffer. We should have people begging to uh, teach kids about the love of Jesus. We should have people begging to want to hold babies and, and show them the love of Christ, that we shouldn't suffer. We should have, uh, we should have uh, money to do what God has called us to do. We should have people who love God so much they're willing to sacrifice. And we do sacrifice and serve ministries. VBS is coming up. We had exponential amount of people volunteering because we're creating a culture. We're creating an environment where we desire to serve to see people come to know Jesus Christ because this is a we church, not a me church. And I struggle with that a little bit because as the pastor, I feel like I have to do everything. And so I have to take a step back because there's only so much I can do and make sure other people are being used, make sure other people are doing things, and they are, and it's beautiful. And it's wonderful to see someone sacrificing their time and energy to fix things and and, and I get to break things and then they get to fix them. So there's a pipe for Alan and Ben to come and take care of. And so uh, I discover the problem, others fix it, and that's the, that's the ministry that we have here, and that's the opportunity that God's placed in front of us. The part of our purpose is to help you find yours. Where do you fit in? What can you do? Where can you serve in your communities, in your homes, in your workspaces, serving others in any capacity? It comes with a measure of sacrifice. The last thing is that freedom is our calling, but serving is our honor. Serving is our honor. Serving and loving others is the route to escape bondage. It's the map. It's the pathway to freedom. And if we start living for others, we find that we become more free ourselves. And as we serve others, we're working on ourselves as well. Every act and every word and every gesture of genuine compassion naturally nourishes our own hearts as well. And so what we do a lot of times is we go, well, as soon as I have enough money, and as soon as I have enough time, and as soon as this project ends, and as soon as this kid grows up and leaves the house, and as soon as this happens, then, then I'll do that. The problem is we're trying to attain perfection. We're trying to reach a place that we never go. This is not Buddhism. We're not reaching enlightenment in this room. We all have an opportunity to step into our own brokenness and out of our own inability serve others. Because if you're waiting for when, it'll never happen. 
The best time to start is now. Will we serve now where we are? And out of our own need and out of our own brokenness, we end up helping others. And it's beautiful, and I can't explain it, but when you give the very thing you need, somehow, some beautiful spiritual way, God ends up giving back to you. And this is not like a ploy or a trick to get you to do things you don't want to do. This is just the way God has designed us, that when you give the thing you need, it ends up coming back to you. The growing people serve so as we're, as we're growing in Christ and our faith and we're learning more about God and we're being encouraged and challenged, we need to look at that aspect of our life. What percentage of my money is going to tithe? Okay, we know biblically that's 10%. Well, what percentage of your life, what percentage of our life is, is, is given to others? Is it 80? Is it 60? Is it 20? Is it 10? Is it 2? We can begin to evaluate the growth of our life and our, our spirituality by how much we give of ourselves to others and serving and loving feels like captivity, but it's actually freedom. It's our expression of freedom. We are free to love and accept and serve those around us because our community needs it. And in Galatians 5, 15, it wraps up and it says, but if you bite and devour one another, watch out, or you will be consumed by one another. Now I know in the context of church, we would never bite or devour one another. So that has never happened in the history of the Big C Church. Uh, everybody always gets along and it's always pleasant. However, hypothetically, hypothetically, if we were to bite and devour, we could begin to consume one another. Now, this is our warning here, that when we get off mission, we start getting focused on things that are self-serving, and we start biting. And it's usually just one bite, and there's a little bit more, and it's a little bit more, and if left unchecked, we begin to devour someone, but it's just one person, right? So that person got devoured, we got a bunch of other people, let's just keep moving, and this is the, the, the way churches often operate, and if we're not careful, we devour one person, we'll devour a group of people, and then we'll devour uh, more, and all of a sudden, we're known as being uh, people who devour people, we're not healthy, and we're biting and devouring and consuming one another, and that's not God's intention, and so we stay on mission with love. We stay on mission with serving. We stay on mission by giving ourselves to others and not looking for what I want. So many of us come to church and go, well, this is what I need. This is what I want. And if you're here and you want something specific, we're happy you're here. But the greater picture is what does God want? What does God need? And we're not going to get so focused that we end up biting and devouring one another. And the attempt of the Galatians was to attain spiritual perfection, keeping the law. And it ended in failure every time. And the point of the text was to shed light on the fact that you can pursue perfection, but it doesn't matter if you don't love. We could all be morally perfect people in this room, but devour one another. The point is that we love. We love and we love and we love. And if we cannot love one another here, then we can't love anyone out there. If we can't love in the context of this room and in this space, we will never do it out there. So serving starts here, but it doesn't end here. So we have to look at our lives and go, what are we doing? How are we living? Are we doing something for others? I want us to be a community of people who are putting others first and encouraging and loving and challenging. I don't know if you've heard of the Ironman competition, uh, but it's actually taking place right now in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Uh, there probably some of them are wrapping up. But the Ironman competition takes place all over the world uh, in various times. And, and men and women, crazy, insane men and women, uh, enter this competition. It's 26.2 miles of running. 26.2 of running. Uh, it is 112 miles of biking. And it is uh, 2.4 miles of swimming. In Chattanooga, that's the Tennessee River, which is a step above the Ohio, but not much. All of this in one day. 
All of this at one time. All of this in a moment. Not like over a lifetime. It's all in a moment. 26.2 miles, 112 mile bike, 2.4 mile swim. And the best people do it in eight hours. Eight hours of exercise sounds awful. Uh, the good ones do it in 12 uh, and then, like the regular athletes, I guess, the, 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 the scrubs, they do it in 15, you know? For you and I, it's like over 20 years. But there's this idea that in order to pull off an Ironman, it takes over 5,000 volunteers. Men and women who sacrifice their time, they volunteer uh, on their own dime, they fly in, they uh, get there several days early, they pay their own food, they pay their own hotel, and uh, they get there several days early, set stuff up, and they get prepared, and, and, and they're serving other athletes, and they're getting ready. And then they stay days after and they serve and clean up and, and everything. And, and, and so before and after, they're really busy on their own time. They don't have to do it. But do you know what their job is during the competition? When the gun goes off, the 5,000 volunteers, their job is to get as close to the competitors as they possibly can without touching them. And screaming encouragements. Don't quit. You can do it. Don't give up. See, what's interesting about this level of exercise, which I'm sure you all understand, but I don't, is you don't actually get to do all of this for practice. Nobody has an extra 12 hours to go out and just try this out. These men and women, they don't know if they're able to accomplish this until the gun goes off and they're in the middle of it. They train and they prepare and they practice, but they don't know if they can actually finish the race. And many of them, if not all, have said they would have never finished if it weren't for the volunteers who believed in them, who shouted in their corner and said, keep going, keep moving. What would it look like for us as a community of faith, as a church, if that was our job? When we just looked at one another every day and said, keep going. What if we sent a text, we made a phone call? Don't quit. Don't give up. I believe in you. God loves you. I love you. When you woke up and you didn't want to get out of bed, depression, anxiety, whatever keeps you there. What if you got a phone call from somebody that says, today's going to be a good day. Trust in God. Midway through your day, everybody's been really cranky. It's starting to wear on you. What if somebody walked up and said, don't quit? Don't grow weary in doing good. God is honored when we do good. What would you feel like? End of the day, it's wrapped up. It was a hard day. You're processing, decompressing. Somebody calls you. Proud of you. Yeah, you may have made some mistakes. But God is for you. What does that look like for us? If we'll trust and encourage and believe in one another at such a level that we are shouting encouragement and shouting praises and screaming into one another's faces saying, you are loved. Can you imagine how much we would accomplish? More than we ever thought were possible. See, we're in a race, you and I, and we don't know if we're going to finish. There's days, there's middle of the day where I'm like, I'm not sure I'm going to complete this day. We're in a race. We need one another. One of the greatest ways we serve one another is by merely encouraging each other, reminding each other we're free. Don't use your freedom to serve self, though. Use it to serve others. So my question as we close is, what if everybody volunteered like you? What if everybody gave like you? What if everybody encouraged one another like you? Would our church be stronger or would we be weaker? That if your activity and your behavior, your interactions with our community were the model for us as a church, how would we be? And I believe that every one of us, 
regardless of how you live, have some room to grow in this. I know I do. So that's my encouragement. That's Paul's encouragement to us today. We've been called free. Let's use our freedom. Let's go encourage some people. Let's show them the love of Christ. If you would bow your head and close your eyes this morning.
Father in heaven, we thank you. First and foremost, thanks for not giving up on us. We've given you plenty of reasons to give up on us, and yet you keep believing in us. You keep encouraging us and challenging us to more. You keep showing us love and calling us to love at a deeper level, and so thank you. Thank you for modeling a, a life of servitude, sacrifice. Thank you. Thank you for loving us in the midst of it. But God, we're here in this moment, in this room, and we're asking for you to show us some ways that we can show your love better, that we can love our neighbors as much as ourselves. So God, help us. Give us the strength, the fortitude, the creativity. Give us the, the mindset of, of serving and loving so that you may be glorified, not, not so that we get more credit, but so that you may be glorified. May our lives be a, a, a mirror to you, showing people your love and your grace and your compassion so that every aspect of our lives would be a testimony to your goodness. So we praise you, and we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. If you would, stand and let's sing this song together before we close. As we close this morning, one of the strongest reminders of our freedom is the blood of Jesus Christ and his body. And so we, uh, we receive communion today as, a, as an act of freedom and a reminder that uh, Christ died for our freedom. And so this morning, if you would like to participate in communion, we uh, encourage you to do so. As long as you have asked Jesus into your heart, we invite you to come and partake alongside of us. But we don't want to do this with uh, sin in our hearts, and we don't want to take this lightly. And so this morning, we're going to pray a prayer of confession. So I'm just going to give us a moment of, uh, I, I guess, of silence. And so I want to give you the opportunity to just... Uh, to just cry out to God and just ask forgiveness in your seats and then I'll close us in prayer.
Father, forgive us this morning for our sins. When we've sinned, we thought we're deed in action. When we've sinned by things we've said, things by things we should have said but didn't, we've sinned and things we've done, we've sinned and things we should have done and didn't do. Through your grace and through your mercy, give us forgiveness if we'll truly ask and receive. So God, this morning we ask that we may be a pure heart, a pure mind, to go out into the world and be your hands and your feet once again. So we thank you in Jesus' name. If you would go ahead and let's take the bread. Let's break the bread as Jesus' body was broken. Let's receive this morning. The body of Christ for us. As we take the cup representing the blood of Jesus Christ shed for the forgiveness of our sins, for the healing of our bodies, we receive this morning being mindful of the work of the cross and the power that it has in us. And so as we receive today, let's receive being reminded of what Jesus did on the cross. Let's drink the cup. As we've eaten the body, we've drank the blood, we've become the body and the blood of Jesus Christ to go out into the world to make a difference. And so that's my prayer this morning. Let me pray this blessing over you. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Father, we thank you for an opportunity to set things right with you, to get our hearts and our minds in alignment with you, to be encouraged, challenged, and empowered to go out and to do the work that you've called us to do. And we've been called free. So we exercise that freedom to love and to serve others. And so we thank you. And we have the power to do that through you. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Go this morning in grace and go in peace.